Hello and welcome to our first and last episode of Noah and Hallie's Spectacular Podcast. In today's episode, we have a lot to share. For all of you track stars out there, this one's for you. And by the way, please excuse our nervousness. This is again our first and last podcast ever. We hope you enjoy what we have to say and find the episode interesting. There's a lot of information to be learned about the ancient Olympics and how they came about. And our job today is to enlighten the peasants of Mr. O'Brien's sixth hour world history class. So here goes nothing, bitches. Yay! Long, long, long ago, the Olympics had set foot in Greece. Although unknown for certain, written records date as far back as the year 776 BC, which was considered the very first year of the Olympics. The name Olympics comes from the name Olympia, where the sporting events had all taken place. The Olympics had become the most visited event of the time, and around 50,000 people would come from every four years to be entertained by the Olympic events. Although the Olympic Games were entertaining and competitive, the ancient games were also a religious festival in honor of Zeus, the king of the gods. Before the games began, messengers were sent out to announce a sacred truce, or a peace. This meant that any war should be called off so that people could travel safely to Olympia. An interesting fact about the games is that the entire games were dedicated to Zeus. Visitors flocked to see the temple of Zeus, and inside stood a huge gold and ivory statue of the king of the gods himself. Hey Noah, did you know the main event at the Olympics was not a sporting event, but a sacrifice? No, I had no clue. Well, now you know. On the third day of the games, 100 oxen were sacrificed and burnt on the altar of Zeus. This altar was not made from stone. Instead, it was made from the leftover ash of all the sacrificed oxen. By around 200 AD, the mound of ash stood six meters high. Yay! Zeus was well respected by all the athletes in attendance. Athletes we see today are all decked out in gear that costs hundreds of dollars. For example, sprinters today are seen wearing shoes that have spikes on them so that they have better grip when they run. But sprinters in ancient Olympics didn't even have shoes. They had nothing but a leaf covering their manly parts. Noah, how would you feel playing basketball with only a leaf to cover your parts? Oof, duh. I don't know about that. That'd feel very uncomfortable. Women did not participate in the games. Only men were allowed to participate. Women were treated like they were second class and used like they were slaves. Olympic performers were naked, and it would have been disrespectful to have women stand in front of huge crowds, completely naked. I personally would tend to disagree on that. Whatever floats their boat, right? The men who participated trained for months. Women did not have the free time men had to train. In my opinion, the reason women weren't allowed to participate in the Olympics was because the men were just afraid to get beat by a woman. Yay! Speaking of the athletes, imagine being completely naked and having the sun scorch your skin. And on top of that, having to compete and sweat like a madman. The athletes in ancient Olympics obviously did not have air-conditioned arenas. They did not even have sunscreen to protect themselves or for that matter, even clothes to protect themselves. That sounds like a real struggle there, Noah. The spectators at the events were made up of men, boys, and unmarried women. They were fortunately allowed to wear their clothes, though. Married women were not even allowed to watch the games. If they were caught sneaking in, the woman may be punished by being thrown off the side of a mountain. Yikes, seems a little harsh. People would come from neighboring cities, but also from far away. The people who did travel from afar were usually the rich men because traveling was really expensive. Yay! In today's Olympics, there are a ton of different events. 
We even have different Olympic events for different seasons, like Winter Olympics and then regular Olympics every two years. The ancient Olympics were made up of the following events. Running contests included the state race, which was the preeminent test of speed, covering the Olympia track from one end to another, which in today's world is a 200-meter race. The Diolos, which was two states, and in today's world is a 400-meter race. And lastly, the Diluchos, ranging between 7 and 24 states. Next is jumping. Athletes used stone or lead weights called halters to increase the distance of a jump. They held on to these weights until the end of their flight and then jettisoned them backwards. And there is discus throw. The discus was originally made of stone, but later on was made of either iron, lead, or bronze. The technique was very similar to today's freestyle discus throw. Up next, wrestling. This was highly valued as a form of military exercise without weapons. It ended only in when one of the contestants admitted defeat, so it could go anywhere from five minutes up until an hour. Just like wrestling, boxing. Boxers wrap straps, which were called himantis, around their hands to strengthen their wrists and steady their fingers. Initially, these straps were soft, but as time progressed, boxers started using harder leather straps, which then resulted in the contestants getting their face messed up. Pancration. This is a primitive form of martial art combining wrestling and boxing, and was considered to be one of the toughest sports. Greeks believed that it was founded by Theseus when he defeated the fierce Minotaur in the labyrinth. And the last event was the equestrian events. These included horse races and chariot races, and took place in the Hippodrome, which was a wide, flat, open space. The bad thing about these events was, for example, like chariot races, if a guy fell off his chariot, the people behind him wouldn't just stop because they saw him fall off. They'd just run right over him. Yay! When all was said and done, there was only one winner in each event. In the ancient Olympics, there was no gold, no silver, or bronze medals. There was only one winner, and he received a crown of olive leaves from the sacred tree at Olympia. But the associated fame and honor the athlete brought back to his town meant that he would be rewarded with other such things also. Oftentimes, the cities of the winners would pay for a statue to be made of the man. At various times and locations, the Olympic winner could also receive a lifetime pension, tax breaks, and honorary benefits, such as front seats at a theater. Yay! Honestly, if I was a man in the ancient Olympics, I would hate it for the fact that I am naked. Nobody should get to see my butt while I'm doing anything. Do you really think people should watch the guys run? Because I definitely think they just watch the men's butt. But other than that... I would absolutely love to feel that glorious feeling coming in first place to all the other men in the competition. And as a woman, on the other hand, I wouldn't mind at all going to watch some men compete and do their thing in the competition, as I'm sure there are so many great views from all angles. But, to be fair, the men of the Olympics did have to be very strong and very wise. For example, in their wrestling events, even if you were 100 pounds lighter than your opponent, you still had to wrestle the guy. It was intimidating, but you still had to do it. Forfeiting would be an embarrassment to your hometown, and you would get endless crap from others. The ancient Olympics can teach you many life lessons, like do not go into an event feeling frisky when you're a male. Make sure that you always know what you're getting into. Know your limits. And finally, give it all you got. All right, I hope our podcast was entertaining and informational for all you listening out there. I would say until next time, 
you can bet my ass I ain't never doing this again.